So as usual on Sundays, I was up pretty early today, couldn't sleep, so I got up at 5.30, started preparing myself for uh, this morning, and I was making my way over to the church, and I'm praying and kind of getting into the moment, and I get in the parking lot, and I look across the parking lot, this is about 6.30 a.m. now, and I see the moon. Anybody up early enough to see the moon today? Some of you are nodding your heads. You are just as strange as I am. It was gorgeous huge in the West, and I uh, have seen the moon thousands of times in my lifetime, maybe more than thousands of times, but I just stopped for a moment, and I said, wow, Lord, this is just really magnificent, and I found myself walking across the parking lot, praising God for the light of the moon, and it got me to thinking on what we're doing here for the next four weeks as, as a church as we go through Advent, this time of preparation for the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. A lot of what we're looking at is familiar, isn't it? We maybe have seen it and heard it multiple times. But what I'm praying happens is that you have a moon moment where you go, oh, oh, okay. I've seen this for years, but this is just breathtaking and this is captivating my soul. And I think we're going to share a lot of familiar things to you, but the familiarity doesn't mean it's not meaningful or impactful. Amen? And I want, to, I want you to just open yourself up to what God's Holy Spirit wants to do because I think he wants all of us to begin to not only understand and know about some of these Advent concepts like hope and peace and love and joy, but he wants us to experience them, to have transcending moments where that thing just imparts into our hearts. And we go, whoa, God, this is really cool. And so this morning we begin this journey into Advent. Now, we have some helps for you. If you want to go to our webpage or to our Facebook, there is a devotional that has been put together around Advent. And you can use that devotional for your family or for yourself to have some connection moments with God on a daily basis. Uh, it's short, so if you want to do it with your kids, you can, you can go through it very quickly. There's some additional materials if you want to go through it a little bit more thoroughly, but you can find it on our Facebook or you can find it on our homepage, a link on our homepage, in our, in, our, in our webpage. Or if you're, for some reason, don't have computers or smart devices, we have some paper copies out here that you can grab one of those on your way out of church um, from, at the information uh, center. I want to just encourage you, use this Advent. Use it as a season uh, of connection with God. Um, use some of this familiar stuff to really drill down deep and experiencing the Lord. So this morning we're going to begin with the topic of hope. Um, God is a God of hope. This first Advent Sunday recognizes this aspect of the Lord. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Romans 15, 13. It says this, May the God of hope, that's who God is, he's a God of hope, fill you, all, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with what? Hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. So if we have this God who is called God of hope, then we ought to be what? People of hope as we follow him. And maybe it should begin to retool how we look at life then if we are people of hope. Maybe problems instead of being, first of all, viewed as hopeless moments, which I tend to do. Do you do that? When you have a problem in your life, do you 
first respond and go, oh, no, right? Not this or not this again. Maybe what we need to begin to do is say, okay, God, what are you up to? And we need to begin to see problems as an opportunity to experience God in new, deeper ways. What I've come to strongly believe is that a problem is often where Christ and true faith are really discovered. After all, faith is not faith until faith is tested a bit. And oftentimes a problem is that means. Well, such was the case for Joseph in the New Testament, the stepfather of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, These first, well, these Advent Sundays during this Advent season, what we're going to do is we're going to look at several main players of that first Christmas. And we're going to ask ourselves, what is the life message of their stories? What is their life telling us? And when you look at Joseph, we're going to see that basically his problem was an opportunity for a deepening faith in God. You think about that first Christmas. Everybody associated with the birth of Jesus Christ or with the early years of Jesus Christ, everyone associated with him basically faced big-time problems, right? Or obstacles or challenges of some sort. Think about Zechariah. He and Elizabeth, they're barren. They've never had a child. He's wanted a child. And so the angel shows up and says, guess what, Zechariah? Elizabeth in her old age is going to have a child. He couldn't bring himself to believe this was true. He doubted the message of the angelic messenger. And so the angel said, ah, you can be deaf for a while, or mute for a while, excuse me. You just cannot talk then since you didn't believe me. And he was mute until the child was born, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And then he couldn't contain himself. He, he, the, you got Zechariah's song in the New Testament there that just an exaltation of joy and celebration of God. Then you think about Mary. Here you got this young teenager. She's pregnant. That's a bad deal in that time. And uh, yet you see her song. And it's amazing, her trust in God and her love of God. <coughs> Excuse me. She had a definite, real encounter with God. That first Christmas was immersed with problems. Problems are often the way God deepens our faith. So how about you? Are you facing any problems? Anybody facing any problems in here? No? Okay. I'll see you later. I'm just going to go home. Because if you don't got any problems, no, at any rate, uh, we always have some sort of problem going on, don't we? And so oftentimes that's God getting us to open up to what he wants to do in our lives. So be open to the Holy Spirit this morning and to the life message of the story of Joseph. We're about to discover how a huge problem in Joseph's life became a huge opportunity for him to have his faith deepened in God. Um, so let's go to Joseph's life message. Let me just give you the point. The problem Joseph faced provided him with the opportunity to experience God in a new, deeper way, okay? That's what we're about this morning. This is what we're looking at. That's Joseph's life message. The problem that he faced provided him with the opportunity to experience God in a new, deeper way. Let me read to you some scripture uh, about what happened in his life. It's Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Very familiar scripture. I pray you begin to see it like I saw the moon this morning, though. See it in some new ways. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, in other words, he was a righteous man, 
and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he was also merciful. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, amazingly, as a man, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. The life message of Joseph is this. A problem is often a doorway to something profound that God wants to do in your life. My hope this morning is that you're not just going to listen to some of this or maybe think about lunch or whatever, but that God would do something in you, stir something in you, that you're not just going to hear what I share with you this morning, but you're going to begin to say, hey, God, maybe in my life you want to take this problem and do something profoundly deep in me that I'm not aware of right now, and I want to be open to that. So let's talk about how problems can be an opportunity. Joseph is noted here as a righteous man, as a law-abiding guy. Um, let me explain that phrase a little bit to you, especially in light of Joseph being a Jew. It meant that Joseph had uncompromising obedience to the Old Testament laws and ways and principles. That meant that he had uncompromising allegiance and obedience to the Torah, to the law of Moses. Practically, this meant that, that Moses, or Moses, Joseph, didn't eat unclean food. He wouldn't mix with the wrong kind of people. He didn't keep his carpentry shop open on the Sabbath. Listen, he wouldn't eat a ham sandwich. Just wouldn't do it. He wouldn't have bacon with his eggs. Wouldn't do it. His identity was that of a righteous Jew. He was known for this. He was known as a faithful one to the law. See, in our day, athletes might desire to be some kind of a star athlete. Uh, a businessman might aspire to be a CEO. In this culture, in this time, a Jew aspired to be known as a righteous man. That's what they aspired to be. But he had a real big problem in his life, didn't he? He had a predicament. So you're this person, think about this. You're committed to the law that defines your life. That's who you are. Now you've just discovered that the one that you're pledged to be married to is pregnant. Oh, no. Now what? And Joseph, the righteous man, the law-abiding guy, he knew that the law of God spoke to the situation. In fact, back in Deuteronomy 22, this very kind of situation is covered. If a woman pledged to be married to a, a, a man is found to be a faithful, it says this, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. She has done a disgraceful thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge his evil from among you. Joseph knew that. And although he's righteous, he's also merciful. He didn't want Mary to be stoned, evidently. He didn't even want to submit her to public disgrace. 
There's this tension in this guy. There's this tension of the problem. He knows what's right, but yet he has some mercy on the one he's betrothed to. And something is rumbling in his soul. Problems will do that for you, don't they? You ever have a problem that just bugs you? It makes your soul rumble a little bit. And things that you thought were so very clear aren't necessarily so very clear, amen? And you begin to have this tension of right and mercy and, and that kind of going on. And Joseph's experiencing that very thing. And this is precisely the place he needed to be because God was going to do a deeper work of faith understanding in this guy. God would take Joseph to a big step of understanding of what it means to really be a righteous follower of God. So if you're a note taker, this brings us to point number one. A problem is often the beginning point of a deepening work of God in your life. How many of you, when you have a problem, rear its ugly head, go, Amen. Praise God. What an opportunity. No, I don't do that. Usually I have to work through some self-pity and why me first. Then I get to the, oh, okay, God, you're up to something here. Joseph had done nothing wrong. Often the sole reason for a problem in your life is to grow deeper in God. Are you hearing this? So many questions, why me? So many times someone proposes that the reason you have a problem is because you lack of faith or something else. But sometimes you have a problem merely because God is up to something in you. Amen? And he wants you to see it as an opportunity. So we have Joseph known as a righteous man. He loves God's law. He's living in a small town. Oh, no. Everybody knows everybody's business in a small town. And his betrothed is pregnant and the whole town would know about it. I never understood this scripture until I moved from Brooklyn Park, Minnesota to Pella, Iowa. I had never lived in a small town. I didn't know what it meant that everybody knows everybody else's business until you live in a small town. I remember one of my first epiphany moments of realizing that small-town living is not at all like living in a big city. When our little girl, Elizabeth, she was about two years old, she was a runner. Anybody ever have a little kid that's a runner? I called her affectionately my runner. In other words, she escaped frequently from us and took off running as fast as her little, cute, two little legs would take her. So one morning or day, I can't remember, she gets out of the house and tears away. I had no idea where she went. And I remember going out of the door I don't know where she was. I didn't know if she went left or right. Problematic, amen? So my neighbor lady, an elderly lady, who evidently watches us through her living room window, (laughs) stepped out of her door, I'm not kidding you, and said, she went that way. (laughs) And I momentarily froze and thought, you're watching us? And I said, thanks, and I chased after her, and I came home, and I said to Vicky, jokingly, shut the shades, the neighbors are watching, you know what I mean? I've never experienced anything like this. Something along that lines, to me, that's small town living. Some of you know that really well, don't you? I had never experienced that. Growing up in Brooklyn Park, I didn't know who lived two houses away from me. You follow what I'm saying? But in Pella, whoo, everybody knew everybody. Joseph lived in that kind of environment. You can't do image management in that kind of environment. He has a problem. Now, in the story of Joseph, his life message is one where 
really this problem is an opportunity that's going to clarify righteousness for him. And basically, God was taking this man who was this law-abiding, devoted Jew, and he's showing him that righteousness is way different than what you think it is. It's going to be about relationship with me. It's going to be about intimacy with me. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to live with God. And you're going to see relationship and intimacy super close at hand. And you're not going to ever view righteousness the same way again. See, being righteous before God is, of course, about what Jesus has done. About his atoning sacrifice and about relationship with him. It's not about law and obeying the law. Why is a problem a good thing? Well, let's talk on that for a moment. This is point two. See, the tension of a problem often produces in you receptivity to God. Receptivity to God. It opens up your spirit, tears down walls, puts you in a place of dependency, of crying out to God. I can't help but surmise that Joseph was pretty torn up about this situation. Most likely his marriage, his betrothal to Mary had been prearranged by family. And I'm sure he thought, why me? Why did I get Mary? Somehow he found out she was pregnant. It's a small town, right? Maybe he just knew by the chatter around town. Perhaps Mary had a conversation with him. Can you imagine that conversation? I've had some of these with my wife. She's very good at breaking bad news to me. And I I remember some of that phrase that she would use. I can almost hear Mary saying this to Joseph. I have some bad news and some good news. Well, actually, the bad news is the best news. But maybe for you, it's going to be bad at the beginning here. Or it might seem bad, but really, it's not bad. And by the time she's talking to him, he's going, oh, no. What are you going to share? And, and, And then I could just hear, well, I'm pregnant. I know that seems like bad news, but it's the best news ever because let me finish the story. See, an angel visited me and overshadowed me and said I would be with child and the child would be of the Holy Spirit. And and guess what? I had the Savior in my womb of the world. I have Messiah in the womb here, Joseph. And I can see him going, because that's what most of us men do. We just stare dumbfounded, open mouth at most things. Amen to me, guys. You know, if you went to laugh your way to a better marriage, you know what? We go right into that nothing box really fast. Really? I, you know, I can see Joseph or, or visualize Joseph thinking, you got to be kidding me. This cannot be happening to me. Why do I have Mary? Why am I betrothed to her? And you know what? I'm sure he wished for some concrete test. Is this of God or not? The story is told of four boys in a Chicago suburb who showed up for school four hours late one day. The teacher was gracious, and they gave the story. Well, we had a flat tire, and she said, oh, okay, boys, you did miss a test earlier this morning, so I'm going to let you make up the test right now, at which point she put the four boys in the four corners of the classroom. It was over lunch hour. She dismissed the rest of the class, and she says, I really just have one question for this test for you. Which tire was flat? You'll get it. Think on it. It just takes a moment. 
that was a great test to see if what they were saying is true or not. She was very insightful. I think that Joseph probably thought, what kind of test? I need a test. I don't, I don't, how do I verify this story? This is crazy. This is incredulous. I don't know if I can believe this. We don't even know if they had a conversation, but we do know that Joseph knew about Mary's pregnancy, and he decided to go for the, 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 the divorce her quietly. I don't want to put her to public disgrace. I, I don't want to humiliate her. I don't want to kill her. It, it, but, but what was going on here was they were betrothed and they hadn't consummated the marriage yet. And so there was this provision. If you found your, your betrothed one to be unfaithful, then you could just divorce her quietly. But God's taking Joseph on a journey here of discovery of true righteousness. I had to ask myself once again, I'm looking at the story, why did God let Joseph go through all this? It seems unfair. He appears to Mary and tells her what's up. Joseph's clueless. I know that in most relationships, the men's clueless and the women don't really know what's going on. I know that. But, you know, this seems so unfair. But I think Joseph had to have the struggle of the problem. The tension had to be there to give him receptivity to receive what God was up to in his life. Because his definition of righteousness, Joseph's definition of righteousness, was going to be turned upside down, going to be redefined. Maybe God has shown us already through the life of Joseph that when Jesus shows up, worlds change. Everything gets turned on its head. And here's a Christmas application I want you to use throughout the messages over the next four weeks. Are you just willing to have your world turned upside down by Jesus? Because that's what he does. Some of us have become so familiar with them, we, like the moon, we don't see the moon. We don't see a beautiful night because we're so familiar. Some of us have become so familiar with Jesus that our worlds aren't turned upside down by him much anymore. They ought to be. And I'm praying that you have a fresh view of the moon or nothing else here during the next four weeks. So as this account continues on, an angel appears to Joseph in a dream. And amazingly, Joseph listened to that dream. And amazingly, he did what he was told to do in the dream. Which brings us to this third point that we need to learn from the life message of Joseph, you know, that a problem is an opportunity. Here's what you need to learn. Whatever situation you are facing, the right step, the right step is always this. Listen to the Lord. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're doing, listen to the Lord and do what he says. Amen? If you want to turn problems into opportunities, you've got to listen to the Lord, do what he says. Now, Joseph could have blown off this dream as a result of indigestion or something like that. Man, those were some potent artichokes I ate last night. I don't know what they eat in Jerusalem, you know, but at any rate, you get what I'm saying. He could have said, woo, bizarre dream. I don't know what that was about. No, instead we find that he was sensitive to what God was up to and listened and did it. And the very first thing that the angel said to Joseph in the dream is, don't be afraid to take her home as your wife. Oftentimes, when we're doing something or facing a problem that's a little out of our comfort zone, what are we battling? Fear. Fear immobilizes. 
When the angels, when the angels appear to the shepherds, what do they say? Do not be what? Afraid to have good news of great joy. The point is here is that fear is immobilizing. Faith looks to what God's going to do in our life and hopes in God. As we go through this Advent season again, when we talk about concepts like hope and love and peace and joy, listen, the enemy of these things in our life oftentimes is fear. And it's one thing to know the concept. It's another thing to actually have the concept become alive in you and become who you are. We should be people of hope. Amen? We should be people who lead with love. Because Christ loved the world, we should be people who lead with love. We should be people who experience peace, not anxiety. We should be people who experience joy, not, not you know, sadness. We should be understanding this whole Dynamic is, is more than just some words. It's to be how our lives are actually lived out. So let's go to this sub point. Even though it appears that it might cost you, do not be afraid to do as the Lord commands. We've got to begin to adopt this as a rule of life. Do not be afraid to do as the Lord commands. It would have been natural for Joseph to be fearful, to take Mary home as his wife, because it was going to have consequences. Now, God had made it clear to Joseph, take her home as your, as your wife. But Joseph paid a price. For, for this obedience. People thought differently of him from that point on. He was known as a righteous man, but now probably people would view him differently. There's no way that people would believe his story. He most likely knew that if he married Mary, his righteous friends were going to reject him. It might cost him some business. He'd never again be admired as a lover of God's law. At very least, he would be misunderstood. See, Joseph was willing to give up his identity and sacrifice his reputation for Jesus. Oftentimes we have to do that. If we want to turn our problems into opportunities, we have to quit worrying about image management and reputation, and we got to follow after Jesus Christ hard. By the act of marrying Mary, Joseph took on basically ownership of these two lives, of Jesus and Mary, and his destiny now was tied to these two people. And it cost him. Here's how I can say it cost him. If you go over to Mark chapter 6 and you read verses 2 through 3, this is about the people of Jesus' hometown and this is what they were saying about Jesus when he began to do his ministry there. What is this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the son of Mary? Ooh, there it is. Now, Joseph is probably dead at this point. But even if a father died in Jewish culture, the son of that father was always referred to by his father. So he would be known as Jesus bar Joseph, okay? Jesus, son of Joseph. How is he referred to here? Jesus, son of who? Mary. That's a slam, you guys. That's a harsh statement. Derogatory remark. Evidently, Joseph's reputation has been tarnished. He's a bit misunderstood. But he overcame that fear of reputation, that fear of being righteous in the eyes of others, and he did as the Lord commanded. Often in our work in God, we're going to have to deal with fear. We're going to have to choose to obey. All of this reminds me of a truth I've been learning over my years as a follower of Jesus Christ, and it says, realize that the authentic, Christ-centered walk in God will often put you at odds with culture. It will. 
It often puts you at odds with culture, and also it'll put you at odds with those who rely on religious practices. Now, we talked for 10 weeks in here about where culture is going, right? In our remnant series. And oftentimes, just by following Jesus, we're going to be where? At odds with culture. And we can't be fear-based people. we got to follow God. But also, and we maybe even get that rub, but the rub that sometimes is hard is when it seems like opposition comes from within the Christian community uh, to you as a follower of God. And when it comes in the form of rules and traditions and those kinds of things that are kind of man-centered that, that people confuse with being the ways of God. Oftentimes when you're really seeking hard after God, some of, the, some of the adversity you face is from those who are well-intentioned but incorrect in their understanding. And you have to have no fear and follow God hard. Now I'm convinced that as adverse as this trial for Joseph was, he was never the same man because he did listen to the Lord and did what the Lord commanded him to do. He got to experience who? Jesus. Up, close, and personal. He's kind of like a prototype for you and me. Christ lived with them. Can you imagine what that must have been like? God was in the house, literally. God was there rubbing shoulders with Joseph. Do you think his viewpoint of righteousness changed from that of obeying and being a law-abiding Jew to that of understanding it's about what Jesus is going to do for me? that he's going to take my sins upon him? Do you think it changed from some kind of, you know, view of of, if if I do these things, I'm okay, to it's about relationship with a living God? Do you think it changed? What do you think? It's never the same. I'm sure it changed in him. I mean, how can you hang around with Jesus that closely and not change, right? So here's our conclusion. The problem in Joseph's life was the opportunity that led to true understanding of righteousness because righteousness is by faith in Jesus. God took Joseph on this wonderful journey, problem to opportunity. There was a tension it created. There was a receptivity. He listened to God. He did what God said. And I'm convinced he experienced a different understanding of righteousness, one that's not based on performance, but based on relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And maybe God decided that Jesus, who would be called friend of sinners, right? Is Jesus called a friend of sinners? Aren't you glad of that? You ought to be going, amen, pastor. You ought to be standing up and saying, amen. He's a friend of sinners, and I'm a sinner, amen. All right, whatever. I'll take it. You guys make me work awful hard for an amen. But maybe God decided Jesus, who's called friend of sinners, should be raised in a family that knew firsthand what it feels like to be second class, rejected, despised, misunderstood. Because Jesus came to minister to what? Sinners, just like you and me. When Joseph decided to wed Mary, he probably thought, well, that's the end of my righteousness and being known as a righteous person, but what is Joseph known as to you and me? A faithful, righteous follower of God. Amen? I'm preaching on the boy today. Amen? 
He was misunderstood for a moment. Thank you. He was misunderstood for a moment. But he shows us that righteousness is by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. God up close and personal. Incarnate God. God in person. That's what Christmas is all about. That's why we get jacked up about it. That's why we're excited. That's what Joseph got to experience. Listen to the life message of Joseph this morning. Problems are often an opportunity to have your faith deepened. I pray that brings you some hope this season, whatever you're facing. Amen?